0: Well, thank you, Jonathan and Carissa and Wayne and Edward back there behind the behind the camera. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter seven, and we'll continue continue with our our study. I had an interesting interesting week. One of those weeks where you you feel you've ironed out the the message, and then it kind of Gets shifted around a little bit as, as God, I don't know, the, the message has to get in you, I've heard it said, and uh, when it's not in you, well, it's, it's not the message to be preached, so that's kind of where, where I've been the last couple of days, but we're thankful that the Spirit um, well, leads us in our study, allows us to understand the text, and uh, He's with us this morning, so why don't we just begin in prayer, and we'll ask that uh, God would lead Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You again just for this time where we can freely open Your Word. Lord, I think of just even Jesus' time teaching in the the temple, and sometimes I wonder, He never knew what kind of crowd to expect, and what kind of response. He he just never knew what kind of results would come from His message, and some of that we'll be looking uh, to this morning. But we do know, Lord, that uh, You had Him come, and he preached the gospel. He preached your word. It, it didn't hinge on what the people thought. It didn't hinge on, on what was tickling ears. It didn't hinge on what the Pharisees thought he should be doing. He preached the gospel. That's why he came. Lord, And I pray that we would follow that example this morning, that as we read these words, it's, it's no selfish ambitions. It's no uh, self-motives. Lord, even as, as we listen and, and we allow you to speak, it's your truth that's speaking, and I pray that that's a very real case, and in each person that's joined us this morning, Lord, be, be with me as I, I share this message, and, and Lord, I just pray that you would move, and we would be sensitive to that. And I just pray these things in your, your precious name, amen. So the living gospel of Christ, that, that kept resounding the last couple days, I mean, it, the gospel's alive. The spiritual life that Jesus had brought was to be alive. And I kept thinking to myself as I, I keep reading through John chapter 7 as a whole, I kept asking myself, what more did Jesus have to do? I mean, you don't convince someone there to believe in the gospel, but here Jesus is. what more did people have to do? And the, the, the responses back then, uh, similar to the responses we have for the gospel today as people walk away, Uh, as people are moved in confusion, as people reject, as people are divided over what it is, uh, what more did Jesus have to do? And we'll just chase that, the the, the living gospel of Christ. John chapter 7, I'd just like to begin by reading in verse verse 25 just to kind of grasp how the people were responding to the living gospel. Um, they were coming out of religion. This was something new. And then we saw Nicodemus' response. How can these things be? Verse 25 has us, Jesus has just finished rebuking the Pharisees, and, uh, which was very much noticed uh, by the crowd. And it says this, Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? Right. The people had been watching. A uh, thought they are just coming. If there was ever someone... Uh, who could recognize what it was like to be judged for their walk. Someone who was always being scrutinized. Someone who was always being analyzed for everything that they, they did. That Jesus could relate with that. But look, verse 26, He speaks boldly, and they say nothing to Him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the Christ? The, the, the gospel, what Jesus was doing, was beginning to, to have these people ask well the right questions. However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Last week we looked a little bit at those messianic prophecies, right? And how people had different ideas as to who the Holy One of God would be. Peace, war, king, ruler, government, right? It's understandable that there was a little bit of confusion in that area. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. Jesus had been showing them from Scripture. Jesus had been connecting those dots for them. Don't, don't play games. They're, you know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. It's a pretty bold statement to be made. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus' deities all over this text. Therefore, they sought to take him. Right? The gospel causes offense. The gospel causes people to get upset. The gospel forces sin to the surface. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. I love verse 31 and many of the people believed in Him. And in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of the rejection, in the midst of the division, there are still people coming to that place of belief. And this here, when you look at that word belief in the Greek, it's not just a head knowledge, it's pisteo. They were being moved to faith. They were putting their trust in the Holy One of God that was describing this living gospel to them which meant that they had to leave their religion. They had to leave what they, they had been raised and had to leave what they thought was normal and, and, and follow Him. And many of the people believed in Him and said, when Christ comes, will He do more signs than these which this man has done? I mean, how much proof, how much more proof does He need to give us? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things, Neat. I mean, a couple of verses before they were fearing the rulers. Now they're murmuring about these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, "I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me." I want to just kind of give you the portrait as Jesus is standing there and, and, and one of the teaching places there in the temple there, He's over top of the crowd and He can see the thousands and He sees these men from the Pharisees move in. He knows why they've come. He knows the Pharisees are, are going to attempt to silence Him, remove Him. right? And as Jesus is looking over the crowd of these people that are listening with, with all kinds of confusion, rejection, and division, He says, I shall be with you a little while longer and then I go to Him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. There's only one way to step into God's kingdom, and that's believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. There's only one way to enter into a relationship with, Christ, with God. There's only one way to receive that eternal life. Right. I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. As we can imagine and we've been seeing, then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Whether it's the ones that are discovering who he is, or whether it's the rulers that want to get rid of him. Where is he going to go that we can't get our hands on him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks to teach the Greeks? Is he going to leave Israel? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? What is he talking about? I want us to notice this morning the scene change in verse between verses 36 and 37. Right? On the last day. All of a sudden we move ahead to another, another day, another time period, but this is the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I think John, the Apostle John, as he writes to the early church, he he remembers the conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus had, and Nicodemus going, How can these things be? And he gives us an explanation here, right? But this, talking about the the heart flowing rivers of pardon me, the heart will flow rivers of living water, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He was not yet lifted up. And I think we better stop there or we're going to be here all morning. But the Gospel of Christ. And I challenge you to think with, with me again. What more did Jesus have to do? I mean, He was presenting a living Gospel. He was presenting doctrine. He was authenticating Himself. He was doing signs bearing witness of who had sent Him. What more did He have to do? And, and still we see Confusion. Still we see rejection. Still we see division. I'd like to start this morning just looking at verse 32. The people had just come to that place where they're saying, how much more does Jesus have to do? How much more proof does He have to give us? Verse 32 says, "...the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things." I just put a little underline. under under, "...these things concerning Him, concerning Christ." And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. From there, God just started laying on my heart. Look at the power of the gospel here in this setting. Look at the, the power of the gospel and what it's doing. What, all of a sudden, these, these people are being moved to, to not just uh, reach out and, and, and not just try and understand. They're murmuring about these things. I, I asked myself, what were the people saying? What were the things that people were saying? Back in verse 13 of John chapter 7, we see, however, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Something was changing. Something had changed in this period of time that now the people were no longer fearful. They're actually openly speaking about who Jesus is, these things. And I really believe, and it's kind of neat as you consider this, that Jesus had been preaching and teaching in the temple for four days now. right? Four days of teaching of the Word. Four days of sitting underneath instruction from, from someone there of utmost authority. I mean, every time Jesus spoke, it was recognized. I mean, this, this, nobody has spoke like this man before. And after four days of Jesus teaching and preaching, it's no wonder there's a shift. I think to myself, and I asked the question this morning, when's when's the last time you sat in a conference for three days? And and can you think back with me where you're just sitting underneath men of God and women giving testimony of of lives of faithfulness and after three days of of gospel, Christ-centered messages, you leave that changed. Right? You leave that. I mean, you're you're changed. You're, You're talking about these things. And it's no wonder. After Jesus had been teaching for four days, we see that shift in these people's thinking. There, there had to be a shift. I'll say the flip side of that is I don't know how people manage to make it through a week with half an hour on Sundays. Right? That, that these things, it, 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 it incorporates into that so we see the gospel power being moved in these things. What were the people saying? Well, we better look at that. Gospel was challenging what these people believed. Right? It was challenging what they said, what they thought. I mean, they, they weren't allowed to stay neutral. That seems to keep coming up. John chapter 7, verse 12. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. On the contrary, some said that he deceives the people. Right? We see that division we see that confusion. the gospel was challenging these people with what they believed, and that sometimes causes turmoil. Right? It causes unrest, it causes friction. I mean I know what it 's like with brothers and sisters there when we have different opinions and different beliefs. Picture that going on in the Israel scene right now. He is good, on the contrary, deceives the people. The gospel was challenging these people with what they believed. John chapter 7, verse 20, The people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Right? Some people were saying, You are Satan-filled rather than Spirit-filled. I mean, that is, that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We won't get back into that again. But I mean, that, that division, that confusion, that rejection is there. It was the gospel that was challenging these people with what they believed. You come down to verse 26, Right And again, Jesus has just been standing rebuking the Pharisees, their religion, their practice. Do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment what is right before God, according to God's standard. But look, they say, he speaks boldly, and they, the Pharisees and and Sadducees, say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed this is truly the Christ? The Gospel was challenging them with what they believed. I mean, mean, look at the Pharisees. They're the ones that are supposed to be leading us. All of a sudden, the Gospel is is starting to sink in and settle in, and they're asking the questions that they need to ask. By the time we reach verse 31, and many of the people believed in Him. That's the power of the Gospel. The Gospel had been challenging their beliefs. The Pharisees... Right, I mean, they're losing their people. The gospel is doing its work. The Pharisees now find themselves in trouble. The gospel that Jesus had brought was starting to, and I had to pause, after three years, the gospel that Jesus had brought after three years was starting to break through the hardness of these people's hearts, his countrymen's hearts. Three years. If you want an example of, of the commission, this is, this is it. Jesus, after three years, the gospel is finally starting to break through people's hearts. I get discouraged after one conversation. With a colleague, you share Christ and the, there's, there's nothing there or, or a harsh word and I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. Right? Write them off. I did my task. No, no. There, there's, there's, there's a, the gospel does its work. Three years. And it's breaking through some of the hardness. I just want to kind of bring this point. Folks, this morning, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to the living Gospel of Christ, it's the Gospel that challenges what people believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's it's the Word, it's the Gospel that that, that peers into their hearts and exposes the error. It exposes what they believe. It exposes what they don't believe. It exposes what they need to know. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word couldn't quite get this before either. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. I better just read it. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I remember the first time teaching Awana, and I, I'm pretty sure there I didn't have the nerves then, but uh, teaching Awana, real, Awanda, realizing in Awana that that verse was speaking about hardened Israel. You read that chapter. right? An Israel that had rejected Christ, that had hardened their hearts. And what is it that, that Hebrews 4.12 says that's going to pierce through that hardness? It's the Word of God. It's the Gospel. The Gospel challenges them with what they believe. And then Chris and I's trip to, to Israel this spring, there's a hardness still there. But it's the Word of God. It's the Gospel that's going to challenge and, and bring them out of that. So we have the Gospel was challenging these people with what they believed. And then we're going to see the Gospel of Christ was breaking through. Verse 32 again, and we'll work our way through this. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things. So they're being challenged. The gospel is challenging what they believed concerning him. These things concerning Christ. The the gospel of Christ was breaking through, and it's always about Christ. When you gear your conversations, when you gear your your, your presentation, when you you have that, that opportunity, you center around Christ, and that is what breaks through. That's what sheds that light in that darkness. You know, saying grace over meals is great, bringing, you know, focus on God, right? But it's not bringing Christ and that gospel into the center of it. I think bringing people to church is great. But those co- conversations and those gospel opportunities have to be concerning him, right? It's, it's the gospel that breaks through. When I think of the people murmuring, and uh, I think there that that... You know, you think you should not murmur. My mom didn't like me murmuring. I normally got a rap on the hand for murmuring and what have you. But but they've gone from fear to to murmuring these things concerning him. The gospel of Christ was breaking through. The people were beginning to realize that what Jesus was teaching was very very different than the other teachers. Right? I mean, the Pharisees were not teaching anything close to what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was bringing the new covenant. Jesus had opened the, the Word of God and was teaching doctrine. Jesus brought an authority back to God's Word, not man's law. Right? It was, it was completely different. Jesus' doctrine was not about what the people wanted. The right? Pharisees have a, a reputation of exalting themselves right? and, and building themselves up and beating them on the breast and saying, look at me. Jesus had none of that. Jesus' doctrine was not... Jesus' doctrine was not about what people wanted. Jesus' doctrine was not about what he wanted. How many times have we read in the Gospel of John, it's about doing the will of the Father? The Father has sent me. Right? And again, when you think of it, Jesus was teaching with no hidden agendas. Right? The gospel was just transparent. This is why I've come. This is and, and he keeps showing them over and over and over again. And that's why the gospel starts breaking through. He was transparent. No hidden agendas. Jesus' doctrine was about what God said. Right? The gospel's about what God said, what God commands, what God expects. And there is something refreshing when there's no hidden agenda, when you know the speaker isn't trying to uplift themselves. There is something when you know that God is saying it and you're saying, yes, I know I am supposed to be obeying that. There's something refreshed. Faith to obedience. Again, the other side of that is these people knew that there was something wrong. In religion, they knew there was an emptiness. They knew that there was something missing. As Jesus was preaching, there was confusion, there was rejection, there was division, but there was a recognition that he's presenting something completely different that they did not have. As the gospel was breaking through, they were beginning to realize that what they had been doing was religion, and it was empty. All right? And that's, that's, a, that's something really to process. As they're murmuring these things concerning him, it's going, well, you know what, he's saying this, and this is what we do. He's he's leading us in this direction, and he wants us to follow him here, but the Pharisees are saying this. They're seeing that contrast of religion and relationship with God. I considered here, and again with the the murmuring, you can't sit under Jesus' teaching, the Word of God and the moving of the Spirit and not be affected. You can't. There's always a response needed. I mean, even the Pharisees here, and we see it in their response, the Pharisees get angry. That's a response, right? As the Gospel is presented, there's a response that's needed. The Gospel... And we think there of Jesus even from the beginning as John the Baptist goes to prison takes up the message of the gospel. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel, that call to repentance forces sin out in these moments. It does. It forces sin out. And we see that in the Pharisees' response. Jesus is preaching the gospel and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. I just can't get past the power of the Gospel this morning. It's piercing. It's revealing. It's, it's showing them. It's moving them to the place of seeing. Israel was beginning to be pulled. We remember that verse from John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. Israel was beginning to be pulled. That Greek word was that dragged into God's kingdom, right? Israel was being pulled through the teaching and the preaching of the Word. As the Gospel was being presented, Israel was being pulled into that. They were, they were being forced to come face to face with that. They were being pulled towards Christ and the message He had come to bring. What a beautiful thing to consider. People responding. But then you think of where we are today. We think of, of people in our bubbles, people in our spheres, people in our, our lives, our families who are hardened toward the gospel. People who have walked away from the faith. Now you think of those who, who won't even consider, don't even, not even an inkling to talk about Jesus. I ask myself the question, what was it that was reaching the hearts of hardened Israel? It was the teaching of the word of God. And it was the gospel, the power of the gospel. Right? And I want to emphasize that this morning. Right? We can try and try and try. We can create programs and opportunities and we can create everything underneath the sun. But it's the, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That the, the people in our lives who are hardened need to hear the gospel. They need to see these verses. They need to come face to face. Just as Jesus was showing Israel from Scripture who He is, what breaks through the heart and hearts and lives of our, our lost loved ones, it's the Word of God. It's the Gospel. It, it's as the Spirit moves us and we step into those opportunities. It, uh, it, it is no other other way. Lastly, when I think of the murmuring and these things as Jesus is presenting them, and I mean again, this is new, right? This is this is something that they had to process, and it was the gospel that was doing it. I I, I just thought through there that these people had to connect the dots, right? And this has come up in, in several conversations. It seems as though the people of Israel, and we see by their responses. If you want a fun study, just take every comment of the people in this discourse from John chapter 7 right up to John 10:21, You take every comment the people make and you just show yourself how mixed up they were. <laughs> there are different ideas of Jesus, different comments, different exclamations, different confusion, rejection, and, and division. You put it on that paper and it seems that these people were victims of the same things that we are. They had a lot of ideas as to who Jesus was going to be. They had a lot of concepts of who Jesus was going to be. They had a lot of different teachings, but it was all disconnected. They, they didn't know how it was going to line up. They, didn't, they, they had the Genesis to Malachi, but they were just pulling things up, and we see that by their comments. And if we had more time, I'd just read through them. But I encourage you to, to just put that on a piece of paper. And what does Jesus do as He presents the Gospel, the living Gospel of Christ? What does Jesus do? He puts them back in the Word and he calls on them to believe who God says he is. He puts them back in the word and he calls on them to believe who he says he is. And, and, and they start murmuring these things concerning Christ. And Jesus has them back in the word and they're processing. Let's step ahead to verse 33 to 34. And we see, and, and again, we're just going to quickly outline this, but uh, Jesus outlines the gospel for them. He outlines the gospel for them. Verse 33, Then Jesus said to them... Now again, picture that that scene, thousands of people seeing the officers that the Pharisees have sent, right? And they're there with one intention, to silence Jesus, to stop the gospel, to stop the teaching of the Word. What that man is sharing is not going along with the direction that the Pharisees need the people going along. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Well, we process that a little bit. Jesus is outlining something that the the Jews had to understand here. I shall be with you a little while longer as he's looking out over the crowd. He knows the confusion. He knows that he's being rejected. Jesus knows that his hour is Coming, Jesus knows that he's not going to stay here with rejecting Israel forever. Right? Again, this isn't an open-ended thing. They're, they have to respond. There has to be a decision that is made. I shall be with you a little while longer. The very reason why Jesus had come was beyond the understanding of the unbeliever. Those that did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God Right? The gospel was beyond them. They, they had to come to first things first. They had to come to that believing, and, and that's the gospel. They need to believe that He is the Son of God for them to understand what was going to come next, for them to understand what was going to take place at Calvary. You couldn't understand Isaiah 53 unless you believed that Jesus is the Son of God, the God-man, the servant of God. Right? The, the Jew listening couldn't understand atonement being made for sin as Jesus was nailed to the cross unless they believed that Jesus is the Son of God. That's their starting point. That's, that's, that's where they had to begin, and Jesus is outlining that. I will be with you a little while longer. Jesus the, the, the Jew couldn't understand the fulfillment of the law as Jesus goes into the grave unless they believed in the Son of God. What has Jesus been proclaiming? That He is the Son of God. Right? That, that they had to believe so that they could have life. He had come to bring life. We're going to see as we continue, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. He had brought that spiritual life. They had to believe. I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to Him who sent me. This will be a reflection of my personality. I got hung up on the, the and there in that verse. I think it's called a conjunction. Right? It kind of ties the two together. Right? I shall be with you a little while longer and then right, I shall go to him who sent me. There is a lot that happens in between those two statements. Right? The and. There is a lot that takes place. I mean, when you, you consider it um, the and includes the last four chapters of John and the first chapter of Acts, right? prior with the ascension. It includes the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Right? I will be with you a little while longer, and then I go, will go to Him who sent me. There's a lot held in that. God's plan. Before the foundations of the world, God's plan of salvation for all men is contained in that and. <laughs> then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer and then, I, and then I go to Him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me and where I am you cannot come. I'll be thankful I gave the, the two notes. I left them in my office that I wanted to share on that one word. And. Jesus had come to offer the new covenant to Israel. God's provided righteousness through Christ. Israel needed to believe that He is the Son of God in order to receive what only Christ could give them. Israel rejected that. Israel rejected that and Romans 11 explains to us that they were cut off temporarily until the second coming of Christ in the millennial kingdom. But they rejected this plan. And Jesus makes it very clear in the last sentence, verse 34. And you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. That's pretty straightforward. Right? Jesus makes it very clear here that unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and place your faith in Him, you can look and you can seek, and you can look, and you can look, and you can look, but unless you believe he's the son of God, you are not going to find the promises that he offers. Without placing your faith today in the finished work of Calvary, that we are born sinners, that our sin separates us, that Jesus came and he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to that cross, he shed his blood as payment for the sin of the world, he went to the the grave for three days and fulfilled the law, the fulfilled the requirements of the law, and, and He rose again on the third day. right? He was seen. We read that this morning. And, and, and He was sent into the right hand of the Father. When you place your faith in Him, right, that's when you receive that promise of eternal life. But if you don't, you will seek, you will seek, and where I am you cannot come. Without placing your faith in the finished work of Calvary, heaven is not your home, and you will stand before the great white throne judgment. And we know hell is the eternal, eternal place for those who reject. So Jesus outlines the gospel in these two, two little verses, even just with that one word, and. And Jesus shows them in verses 37 and 38, God's gospel salvation. And again, when I say shows, I mean He's, he's showing them from Scripture. He takes them, and I'm so thankful God made this connection in my life this week. Verses 37 and 38, Jesus is going to show them God's gospel of salvation. Verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me share the, the scene with you. This is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. An right? eight-day feast celebrating God's provision, anticipation of the, the coming Messiah, the coming Messianic Kingdom. The last great day, this is the second Sabbath. Um, sacrifices were made for Israel. This is a a national focus on the last big hurrah of the feast. I kind of think there with the summertime and that, if there was a a, a massive show for fireworks, this would be the day to set it off, right? There was the grand finale. It was a celebration of God's provision, God's entrance into the Canaan as Joshua led them. There was a lot of different things. It was a time of music and shouts, Um, The Jewish people were always very vocal, hence why there's so many psalms. And Jesus says something to this group that even the officers that had come to arrest Jesus, in verse 46, whatever Jesus said, however Jesus said it, they, they respond, no man ever spoke like this man. Verse 46. Jesus says something here that has the very men sent to arrest him exclaim, no one has ever spoke like this man. What was it that he said? Was it how he said it? I mean, again, he's preaching in the temple right there, and then John chapter 8 verse 20 says that he's teaching from the treasury. He has the the audience. What did he say? How how did he say it if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water i think most of them would have been like nicodemus how can these things be what was what he talking about? unless jesus was connecting a dot unless jesus was showing them from scripture Right? Unless he was he was making them see what God had promised. These people, according to Jewish tradition, were corporately singing and chanting a Isaiah twelve chapter, a song from Isaiah chapter twelve. A prophecy about a few different things, and we need to turn there. From there we'll we'll draw our close. Isaiah chapter twelve. Corporately they would go through the streets chanting and singing Isaiah twelve. And imagine That Isaiah 12 is all about the coming New Covenant, the coming Messiah, all about the coming Gospel of Christ. Isaiah chapter 12, and just kind of to take note, in John 7 it says, in the last day or the great day, I think there is John is writing this, he's thinking about, in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, Though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comfort me. These people would be singing it. It's about restoration. It's about being drawn back. It's about God providing what was needed for them to come back in a relationship with Him. Behold, verse 2, God is my salvation. Gospel. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For yea, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation verse 3 therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation should almost do a message on Isaiah 12 but what he just said out of your heart will flow rivers of living water the gospel he's talking about the Holy Spirit to come therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation And in that day you will say... People singing, walking through the temple. Jesus is is in that place listening and watching the people celebrate, saying these words. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His deeds among the peoples. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out... And shout, O inhabitants of Zion, dwellers of Jerusalem. What does that last part say? For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. (laughs) You see that connection? Can you picture they're singing the song and Jesus is standing in the temple going, Hey! Verse 3. Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What does that mean? For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Christ, Holy One of God, Son of the living God. You see how Jesus takes what they're doing and, and directs it all to them seeing Himself as the anointed Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One of God. So then we come back to John chapter 7 and we see Him that Jesus is showing them the Gospel, showing them God's, God's salvation, His promise, the, the Messianic promise. And He says... If anyone thirsts, you know that well you're singing about? You know that salvation you're looking for? You know that promise, that that new covenant promise that that you're celebrating here with the feast? If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me. Come to Me. I am that well. Casting crowns. Come to the well. Come to Me and drink. He had brought God's righteousness. He had brought God's plan of salvation. He who believes in Me As the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in the Holy One standing in their midst. That chapter ends with an exclamation mark. Whoever believes in Me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Jesus' message right, from, from the get-go. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. We read John chapter 3. Right? Jesus has been saying the whole time, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Salvation is from him. Right? That's what he came come for. I have brought salvation. I have brought God's provided righteousness in the new covenant. I, Christ, the Son of the living God, am your salvation. I can almost picture it with them. If your heart, right, and this is there, if, if anyone thirsts, because you have to have that thirst. You have to be recognizing it, that, that gospel has to be doing its work. If your heart, your mind, and your soul is looking for something other than that religion that you're practicing, that emptiness, you need to come to me that well. Come to me, the Holy One of Israel if the New Covenant promise that he's been preaching for three years is striking a chord in your hearts, if you're beginning to understand God's truth of God's promises, you need to come to me. This is an altar call in the house of God. You need to come to me. Come. Leave what you think is saving you. I mean, 400 years of silence. It, 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 just the, the, the things that were going on. Leave what you think is saving you. What you think is fulfilling, what you think is satisfying, come to the well. Come to me, and, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Let him come to me and drink. Technicalities. Christ had come to offer the new covenant promised Israel. Let's use some of that messianic language to gather into one. All right? Put my spirit within you. Heart of stone to heart of flesh. Cleanse, Jeremiah 31. Sprinkle you with clean water, Ezekiel 36, 37. Come to me, let him come to me and drink. Be cleansed. Be renewed. With Nicodemus, be regenerated. Be born again. The living water is the ministry of the Spirit and the life of someone who places their faith in Christ. So Jesus was promising Israel rejected. We have our new current promise. The living water is the ministry of the Spirit. When we place our faith in Christ for what He did on Calvary, right? the Holy Spirit comes and we are regenerated. We are indwelt. We're cleansed. We're renewed. We're spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. right? And then we're sealed. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In closing, and again, it's, it, connecting those dots These, jesus was showing them from scripture he was showing them that the gospel was alive right that, that that god had come and was providing for them something so much more than judaism so much more than just coming to temple and doing the practice following the pharisee and the rules doing the same thing over and over he had come to offer so much more the gospel of christ is alive and their religion was dead Right? And that's not, that's not something that, that you can cover up. I mean, when you're living in a religion, you know something's wrong. When your life and, and your relationship with God feels empty, you know something is wrong. The gospel is alive. Those who believe, some of the many who are going, you know what, we're listening, we're believing, we're putting our faith in Him. Right? Those who believed wanted to be alive. Think of as Jesus is explaining to them, your heart is going to flow rivers of living water. I mean, I'm going, I'm in. I believe, right? That gospel is alive. I want some of that. They wanted to have the Holy Spirit outpouring in every area of their lives. Jesus came so that they could have life. God wanted so much more for these people. He wanted an alive people. He wanted a new covenant people. So in closing couple questions is your spiritual life flowing rivers of living water is your spiritual walk with christ is it flowing rivers of living water because if it isn't there is someone missing If you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're not excited, if you're not walking in in that that river of of outpouring of spiritual goodness and and gifting, there's someone missing because your relationship with God should never feel empty. He who believes in me, which I I hope everyone listening believes in him, believes in Jesus Christ, believes what he did on the cross. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How is that river? How is the Spirit seen in your life? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for this time with heart and thank you so much for Jesus' teaching. We thank you for how it does go from Genesis to Revelation. But Lord, there is an application this morning there's an application that can't be missed Lord I, I'm sure and I know and, and, and I have conversations with many people and I've lived that life where I didn't hear God speak I've lived many many years of my life where my relationship with you felt empty Lord where your word didn't speak to me and, and it was on my behalf Lord I, I've, I've walked that trail where I didn't feel like I had any water in my heart or any spirit, spiritual connection. But Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your second chances. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. And I pray that if there's anyone listening, Lord, that knows that empty feeling, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know you, maybe there's someone here uh, as they're, they're watching and listening that even just the idea of believing in you is, is a little confusing. I pray that they would reach out for help. Lord, I pray that they would talk to maybe the person beside them. Lord, that they would call, call me here at the church. Lord, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go through another day not knowing what this river of living water is. And I pray that those watching and listening would recognize that um, the churches do offer, offer help in this area. There is prayer meetings. Lord, there is Bible studies. There is support. There is appointments that they can make to take that next step there, to get the encouragement and the support, Lord. And I pray that again, no one listening this morning would feel empty in their walk with you. We thank you for this living water. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for salvation. Lord, And I just pray that you would move in a powerful way this week. We just pray these things in your precious name. Amen.